loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Dirty Little Horror Queers. We're talking end-of-year dances, we're talking power drills, and we're talking Australia. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And I think you just went a little Medea for a minute with Australia. Well, basically, Australia, all they do is add R's to every word. Well, I think we have a guest who might uh, take you to task for that. Uh, So, yes, uh, I'm Trace, and uh, we're talking Australian horror and uh, some real batshit. Oh, and also week two of our Femme Fatale month. Wait, no. Week three, four. Week four. (laughs) We're recording out of order. Um, Okay, let me try that again. Um, Also, it is week four and our final week of Femme Fatale Month with Sean Burns' The Loved Ones. But before we get to the film, I feel like we should introduce our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, queers and non-queers, you know them as the hosts of the Dirty Little Horror Podcast. Please welcome Christopher Downs and Charles Rockhill. Hello. Hello. I feel it's my duty at this point to say, g'day. Uh, (laughs) Mate? No mate? mate. Uh, Okay, there's a rule about mate that is little known outside of Australia. It's my favorite rule. It is Charles's favorite rule. I won't use the word because this is a family podcast. Uh, but <laughs> Wait, no, the, it's not. Is it? <laughs> no, there's... Okay. So you, you guys know the C word, right? Kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He literally started an episode using that word a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Fuck. Awesome. I'm happy. Okay. So in Australia, uh, we switch around the word mate and the word cunt. If someone is your friend, you say, g'day, cunt. Um, and if you're mad at someone or you hate someone, you're more inclined to spit at them, watch it, mate. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at any given time, we'll just switch those words around and not tell you. Okay. So, <laughs> well, so if you, if you call us that during this recording, I'll be... T- actually, I'd be fine with it anyway. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite words, but it's not super kosher in the States to use. Yeah, yep, yep. But yeah. I still use it. Yeah, I... You go. No, it's, it's your story, Chris. I was going to tell your story, so you tell it. <laughs> <laughs> the story of the person who tried to tell me they were going to try and make me stop say it less? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, oh, you are pushing shit uphill, mate. That is not going to work. Oh, you called the mate. I did, and I meant it. Oh. <laughs> the sick burn. <laughs> cool. Thanks for coming on the podcast to talk about Australian horror, because um, honestly, I, I was looking through, like, you know, just like Australian horror cinema, and I feel like the Australians have made a lot of really awesome horror movies like since 2000 i mean this one comes to mind and basically anything greg mclean does yes yeah do we get to take credit for anything uh james wan has done as well i will say yes <laughs> yeah in that case uh, we have been prolific i know and furious 7 which is one of the better sequels of the fast and the furious franchise yeah i was gonna say oh. australia has also got a bunch of really shitty big budget hollywood action films but it's mostly because you guys have really good fx work down there Yes, and for a long period, like, just shit-hot taxes. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, hello, British Commonwealth. All we do is <laughs> give away things and act like we're not colonialists. Ugh, right. Colonialists. Do we Americans film a lot over there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, news to me. Fuck. Uh, Scooby-Doo 1 and 2. Oh, I did know that. I, I, I did know that. I listened to the cast commentary of that first Scooby-Doo movie, which is delightful. And yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar hates Australia. And Why? I have not forgiven her for that. Oh, because <laughs> the bugs. Went, yeah, literally. She was like, ah, it's really hot. And they're like, lots of mosquitoes. Like, yeah, bitch, you're by the coast in a tropical country. Um, 
no shade, but honestly, Australia's probably the one place I don't ever have a desire to visit because of all the deadly animals that are there. Like, I've seen too many creature features that I've just been like, mm, not oh for me. God, you're so dramatic. No, look, I want to be offended by you not wanting to go to Australia, but honestly, I spent a lifetime shaking my shoes out before I put them on to get bugs yes. and snakes out of them, so <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks very pretty, and I will appreciate from a distance. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so as we mentioned, we are covering The Loved Ones, uh, directed by Sean Byrne. I was going to tell y'all when it was released. Um, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> and I will, if I can read my notes, because they're so tiny, because I have three different release dates. Yeah, no, it premiered at TIFF. Um, so Joe, you actually would have had first access to this. Were you going to TIFF in 2009? I don't think I lived in Toronto at that point, so no. Oh, I just assume you always lived in Toronto, because I just assumed Toronto was, like, all of Canada. <laughs> oh my god, you fucking American. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Hey, yes, hey. as the two Americans would say, <laughs> now Chris, that's... it's going to be you and me versus them, okay? Yeah, that's not fair. There's more to Canada than just Toronto. There's the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, duh. <laughs> no, he, he went to Fantasia a couple weeks ago, and he was like, it's in Montreal. And I was like, is that not, like... 20 minutes away from where you live. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought it was. <laughs> it's just like how Trace is constantly vacationing, you know, over in Florida in Key West or something, because those are like next to each other or something, aren't they? <laughs> it's actually only a 10 hour drive to get to Florida. It's not that bad. Cause, but in six of those hours are from Austin are in uh, Texas. Uh, yeah, in Texas. I'm still convinced that Australia is only the size of Texas, and Chris can't convince me otherwise. Oh, God. The countries are the same width, you dickhead. <laughs> Chris, doesn't this make you worry about the status of the U.S. education system? This and this is, adds to the pile of things that make me worry about the American education system. Well, yeah, we, we have a lot of issues, specifically with our sex <laughs> education system. Yeah. I can't pack up the education system at all, but I can tell you that I'm definitely wrong about the size of most places because of where... <laughs> Where I learned things. So. And the size of most things, apparently, too. Oh, yeah, Ouch. definitely. <laughs> well, you also live on a tiny island that has, like, a greater population than most states, I think. So, I, Yes, I have told Chris this multiple times. Uh, as someone who was born and raised in New York, we hate New Jersey for no reason. <laughs> right. And as someone who was born and raised in America, we hate France for no reason. Like, that's just a thing. I don't know why. Can anyone confirm that with me? <laughs> Uh, nope, freedom no fries or it. some shit. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't know much about France to be. I've never been to France, so. Um, okay, so yes, I'm sorry. Back to my. Oh, are we still states. doing this? I know. We're oh yeah, that's right. There's a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, but yes, yeah, so premiered September 13th, 2009 at TIFF before getting an actual release over a year later, November 4th, 2010 in Australia, but it didn't get a release in the States until June 1st, 2012. And it was like a co-distribution deal between Paramount and Tug. Do y'all know what Tug is? Nope. No. no. Tug is basically... a, a oh, um, uh, Joe, Jenny works for Tug, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, but it's basically a... I don't want to call it a system. It's like a company where if a movie doesn't have distribution, you can go to them and say, hey, can you screen this movie in my hometown? And you basically have to get, you know, X amount of people to 
prepay for a ticket. And if they and if you hit your goal, they will screen the movie near you. If they don't, then everyone gets their money back. But um, I only know what it is because when Bait 3D was coming out, like back in 2012, 2013, uh, which also stars, it's Australian and stars Xavier Samuel as well. I tried to make it happen in Austin and uh, I did not get anyone agree to go see this Sharks in a Grocery Store movie. <laughs> Which the premise sidebar, of the movie? Why are we not covering that movie? No. <laughs> I will watch any movie with sharks in it. No, me too. I mean, it, it's actually pretty good. It's basically I'm a tsunami. It has Julie McMahon from Nip Tuck and um, Nip Tuck, and it's basically a tsunami. Oh, and Charney Vincent's in it too. But a, a tsunami hits this uh, small Australian town, and it floods a grocery store, and it traps people inside with great white sharks. But they're all all of them are Australian, are they not? Yes, Julian McMahon is the son of an Australian Prime Minister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, if he's in it, I might actually watch that one. Hey, It's solid. It's I, It needs a bigger body count. Not enough people die. But it's, again, it's better than it has any right to be. So just to go back to Tug, this is like if Kickstarter and Groupon had a baby in reverse? Yes, kind Yikes. of like that. Wow. I can't imagine that doing particularly well, though. I mean, I don't think it did. So, bait is essentially Sharknado in a grocery store. But, like, taking itself much more seriously and has oh. better effects. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Thank God. Like, I mean, it has, like, a kind of a sense of humor, but it's more in the vein of, like, crawl than it is piranha. Ah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this was made for 4 million, I think, Australian dollars, not yes. American dollars. Yeah. And, yeah, runtime of 84 minutes with credits, 79 without. That uh, The unrated cut, I think, is, like, 25 seconds longer than the American cut. Most of the unrated footage is the drill sequence, unsurprisingly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I don't really have any box office information, Joe, so you might have to help me out. But I have the Australian gross of $254,710. Yeah. That's basically it. Oh, so it didn't do very well. I mean, no. I, yeah, I don't have whatever it made in America. I do not know. Oh, okay. I think it was in so few sites that it barely even made a blip, which is like why there's no box office info at all. I'm trying to think of how I saw it because I saw this probably in 2014, 2015. So two or three years after it came out. But I don't remember how I saw it. Had you two heard of this before now? I had heard of it. I, I, I think in passing in 2012, I may have even want, been like, oh, I want to see that. Uh, but otherwise, nope. Uh, <laughs> no. And when it was suggested by you guys for this episode, I my brain immediately went to the movie Heavenly Creatures with Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually New why. Zealand, though. Yeah. I know, like... When I thought loved ones, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that movie with Kate Winslet where they kill that girl's mom. Got it. It almost <laughs> would have been a real big fuck you, though, because that's New Zealand. That's not even yeah. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Peter Jackson. My bad. <laughs> oh, wait, so this is the first time I watched for both of you. Yes. yes. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. I just I just assumed that y'all had seen it. <laughs> nope. And, I, and I'm very happy that this is a movie that we watched because this movie is fucking awesome. It's a little bit more exciting than Heavenly Creatures. I love Heavenly Creatures, but it's not what I would call like a fun watch. No, no, no. no. It's very dramatic. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, well, yeah, so before we get into Joe's little plot summary, I'm um, just some real quick reception here. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 98%, which I was shocked by. Um, and an it's average had, like, sc- universally good reviews. Mm-hmm, yeah. And an average score of 7.24 out of 10. So, I mean, you're looking at a lot of three and a half out of fives in, in these reviews, which, coincidentally enough, is exactly what I gave it. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, audiences gave it a 74%, which with an average score of 3.7 out of 5, which also tracks. Uh, no Metacritic score, but a user Metacritic score of 8.6 out of 10. And again, I mean, I would y'all call this a crowd pleaser? I personally wouldn't. I am baffled 
by the universal praise of this movie. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe my inherent Australianness might have something to do with it. There is a lot of cultural cringe to contend with. But oh. I, it doesn't strike me as crowd-pleasing. If anything, it strikes me as crowd-annoying. But everyone seems to love it, so oh, what the fuck do I know? Wait, wait. Oh, okay, wait. Put that in your pocket. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> Deal. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm mighty curious. No, because, I mean, when I listen to y'all's show, I, I, I tend to disagree with you more. Nice. Mm. As do I. Great, 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 great. I'm on <laughs> <Yes>. your side. <laughs> I, I think it makes you, for better drama. Well, and you know, you and Joe might be on more equal footing though, because I, I just imagine y'all like your inner souls are like grumpy old men. <laughs> oh my god, this is Trace bringing out the ageism. So, so Trace <laughs> is a junior baby gay who just turned thirty. So Chris, he's gonna think that you and I are basically like one foot in the grave old men. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm aware. I uh, the episode I listened to, to today of your show was the uh, Final Destination one. <laughs> you kept saying like, oh, I was 11 when the show came out and I was like, fuck you, I was 20. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get comments from people who are like, uh, I'm 45, can all of you <laughs> shut the fuck up? <laughs> yeah, Christopher uh, is constantly age-shamed on our own show by me. Yeah, so. yeah. But wait, Charles, how old are you? I would like to go on the record as saying 25. And I will go on the record and correct him and say that he is 33. And Christopher is a lying little bitch. (laughs) Duly noted. And here I thought a lady never tells her age. Mm. A lady lies. A lady lies about her age. (laughs) Old ladies don't tell their age. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, so, okay, yeah, so people love this movie. Um, Christopher does not. And uh, this is the directorial debut of Sean Byrne, who also wrote it. The only movie he's done since this is The Devil's Candy, which also one of those movies that has had a very troubled release history, also about 79 minutes long. (laughs) Wow. Um, yeah, it's um, sure, it's sweet, really, really good. But um, the festival cut was ninety minutes, and when the Blu-ray finally got released, I want to say last year, maybe two years ago, it was cut down to seventy-nine minutes. Eee. So we're not talking about that movie, but if you haven't seen it, it's very, very good. Um, I don't think I prefer it to this one, but um, it's a metal horror movie, so it's like you know Ethan Embry and um. Oh, fuck. Sherry Appleby. Sherry oh. Appleby. There you go. And Ethan Embry is like jacked and hot as fuck and shirtless most of the time. He so is jacked, just that. but he has long hair and long hair isn't my cup of tea. Yeah. I need to find out where to stream that immediately. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a real, real creepy and good movie. Like it's, it's not, because I would call the loved ones very queer, um, even though there's not any outright queer content in it, but it, I feel like it has a lot of things that um, attract queer viewers. Devil's Candy isn't the same. It's more of like a straightforward horror possession serial killer film. Super good, though. Anyway, not talking about it. So, <laughs> Joe, what yes. is this movie about? All right, here we go. Australian names. After, after three weeks of somewhat tricky names i'm ready for australia okay yeah we really went into a lot of foreign films with him fatale month this is true yeah all right uh okay well learning to drive brent xavier samuel swerves to miss something on the road and accidentally kills his father in a car crash flash forward six months brent is withdrawn mildly suicidal and has begun self-harming he is sexually active with his girlfriend holly victoria thane and dawdled on by his mom, Carla, Susie Duggerty. Did you say dotted on? Yes. Doted. Doted? Doted on. Why do I have in my notes 
Wait, I don't even have dotted. I have doddled. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is that, Joe? That I sounds filthy. I need to stop using Notepad because it just like autocorrects. And then when I go to read these half the time, I'm like, why did I write this? Did Dunk me write this? I was saying, he's also like not really doted on by his mother. Their relationship is very like not amiable. Well, she, I think, is worried that he's going to do something because she's already lost one family member. But her nurturing smotheringness is effectively driving him away. Well, I was going to say, though, I was on this rewatch. I forgot how I want to say how long it takes to get to the kidnapping because it's about it's almost the first act. Yeah, I mean, Mm. it's it's, it is 24 minutes ish into this 84 minute movie. And I kind of appreciated how much time Byrne gives for the emotional like lives of, of these characters. Yeah, he sets it up. Yeah, it's a good payoff, I think. Okay. On the night of the end of the year school dance, he is propositioned by awkward schoolmate Lola Stone, a.k.a. Princess Robin McLeavy. After he turns her down, his dog is stabbed, and he is abducted by her father, Daddy, John Brumpton. Daddy delivers Brent to an obsessed Lola, who dresses only in pink and has a deeply uncomfortable sexual relationship with her father. Brent is tied to a chair, decked out in a tux, and forced to endure a dinner with Lola, Daddy, and Bright Eyes, and Scott Pendleberry, a woman who has been lobotomized from a drill to the forehead. Then the torture begins. After being injected with something? Bleach. Is it bleach? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's bleach. Okay. All I saw was a water bottle, and I was like, I think I know what that is, but I'm not sure. Well, the Wikipedia says bleach, so I'm going to say it's bleach. Ah, yes. Wikipedia never lies. (laughs) Yeah, that's the the only way I knew what it was, too, was reading about it afterwards. (laughs) I mean, I think the bottle is blue, so, yeah, it's a safe inference. I think I assumed it was window cleaner when I saw that it was blue, but, I mean... Well, he has a very nasty reaction to it, but it also doesn't do anything to him long term. Like, typically, if you ingest bleach, you're kind of fucked. Well, is is his voice permanently gone? We are meant to assume so? Yeah, he doesn't speak for the rest of the movie. Well, I know, I know that. I just didn't know if like it was ever going to like get better. Because uh, Spoiler alert, because we're spoiling this movie. He doesn't die. He makes it to the end. Yay. <laughs> well, I'm not, like, I'm not sure what Bleach would actually do to vocal cords besides, I mean, harm them in the moment. But would it actually like dissolve them or burn them so much that it, you wouldn't be able to ever speak again? I don't Look, know. Yeah. One of you have to Google that because I am a question editor for a TV game show. My Google search history has already put me on enough government lists. Oh so. <laughs> I can't even fly anymore. Nope. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, okay, well, one of you has to try that. And I was like, I'm not volunteering <laughs> oh, for that Jesus shit. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Okay. Find yourself a small child or an animal and report back with the results. No animals, only small children. Thank you very much. Sorry. Right. Yes. We talked about this. <laughs> deal (laughs) okay so he is injected with bleach lola threatens to nail his penis to the chair and after a brief escape daddy hammers knives into his feet lola then shows him her scrapbook of victims cure duncan rise and timmy who is the boy from the opening sequence on the road before she begins to draw in quotation marks a heart on his chest with a fork After a slow dance in which Lola admits she's searching for a king just like her father, they open a trapdoor to reveal 
something is alive below. Lola excitedly performs her first drilling on Brent, but before the horrific procedure can be completed, Brent manages to slice Daddy's face with his razor necklace, stab him repeatedly in the neck, and knock him into the hole. Did someone want to say something? Well, I was just... <laughs> I, okay, I know that the, the, the drill sequence is like the centerpiece of this movie. I forgot it happened. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh my God, how do you forget that? <laughs> well, okay, as we've discussed, so like a lot of these movies, like that I was watching in like 2013 to 2014, like I, it's my early 20s, uh, or maybe early to mid 20s. I was probably drunk the first time I watched this. Blackout drunk. Not blackout drunk, but I definitely didn't. Like, basically, I just remembered the end of this movie because I remember being pissed off that we don't get to see her head get squished. (laughs) (laughs) And I still feel that way to this day. It's so funny because the poster, the, the cover of the box is Lola holding the drill. I just forgot what she did with it. Yeah, the cover art of movies never... I don't pay enough attention to them either to allow them to inform me what's going to happen in the movie because i saw the drill as well but not until she was actively drilling was i like oh that drill's not of any importance it's just a cool poster because i'm an idiot (laughs) and i will say it's probably one of the most effective scenes of torture i've ever seen in any horror film ever i don't think anything like that's been done before Mm, hostile well no but not in your skull Yes, typically we see it into, like, legs and hands and shoulders and yeah. other fun appendages. Hostel gross me out in a way that you're like, Ugh! and you either turn away if you're that kind of person, or you're just like, that's fucking gross. This made me uncomfortable in a, at the dentist kind of way. Yeah, well, and you know what's funny? We actually covered Hostel for our third episode, and it's surprisingly, like, does it's not quite as gory as you remember it being they actually cut away from most of the money shots kind of like this yeah the, the second one is not the case the second one shows everything but the second one's yeah. a better movie um but <laughs> yeah so yeah i i agree with you on this though and even this one because you don't see the drill really going because it, it's like an over like a over the shoulder shot of the drill actually entering his skull but then there's that cgi smoke that comes off the drill <laughs> And they blend together the sound of the drill and his bleached vocal cord screaming. Mm -hmm. It's very effective. Who among us watched the unrated versus the regular version? Because I watched the regular version. No, I watched the unrated version. Uh I I think mine is the regular one because it is shorter. Christopher made me aware of the unrated version after I'd already downloaded the regular version. And I was like, I'm not doing two. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like 20, 25 seconds. I don't think that the drill scene is that much more graphic i mean or maybe maybe they just i mean i don't know i I think they just hold on it for longer right yeah i mean it it does feel longer but it's not like it shows necessarily it's much more graphic yeah okay brent nearly bests lola but she tosses him into the pit with her previous victims who are both still alive and very cannibalistic now tim is not in there right tim just escaped Yes. yes. And no one knows where he is. No. no. I, I feel like we're meant to assume that he's probably dead in the outback somewhere. Yeah, cause she, and she says that as well. He's probably dead by now. And from both a filmmaking point of view and just like the general story, I assumed we're supposed to accept that as red. And I think I'd be okay with that if Mia wasn't revealed to be his sister. Because... <clears throat> that's kind of brought up as like a subplot because I, I was texting Joe when we were watching. I was like, I don't know why they keep cutting to this couple. Like, I know it's comic relief, but like, what purpose does it serve? So fucking annoying. No, put a pause on that. We're going to save that because nope. that I think is a whole thing. Okay. All right. Mm, okay. Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Brent is, a for- is eventually forced to kill them all with a hammer, while up above, a despondent Lola suffocates Brighteyes, who is revealed to be her mother, in a scene that is cross-cut with the film's other characters being unable to sleep. Girlfriend Holly, because she's still in this movie... I love her, though. <laughs> ...remembers that Lola propositioned Brent, which prompts the sheriff, Andrew S. Gilbert... And I don't know if sheriff is the right term, because sometimes that's not what they're called in different countries, so apologies if uniformed officers are not called sheriffs or policemen or whatever. The sheriff drives out to Lola's home, where he is immediately killed. Lola threatens Brent's mother and Holly, but fails to shut the trapdoor when she leaves, allowing Brent to use the skeletal remains to escape. Lola happens upon Holly on the road, and the two fight, but Brent eventually catches up and runs Lola down with the cop car. Although she is... See, autocorrect. Although she is barely broken? No, autocorrect. That is not true. She is totally fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so lola is totally fucked up but not dead which prompts That's so Brent... much more eloquent i love that <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do so this prompts brent to back up over her in the car in slow motion the film ends as he and holly go home to his worried mother also Brent's best friend, Jamie, richard wilson <laughs> takes goth girl mia jessica McNa- McNamee. McNamee. McNamee, yeah. Jessica McNamee to the dance where they rock out, smoke up, get kicked out of the gym, and then have sex in the back of the car. And yes, she is revealed to be Tim, the victim's sister, which is why she is fucked up. And we will get there. But there's not really much more to it than that. There is. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, we can start there if that's where you folks would like to start. I would like to start there because I would like you to try and convince me that they haven't completely fucking wasted Jessica McNamee, who (laughs) is a tremendous actor who has in the last... So I didn't know who she was in 2017, but since 2017, I have seen her play 1950s bigoted tennis champion Margaret Court, Jason Statham's ex-wife. What? What's that from? In the Meg. Oh. oh, oh! that's not a good movie, but they're good for her. <laughs> right. Uh, an asshole's cool, likable sister in, you know that Hulu uh, anthology horror movies? Uh, in, in the Dark? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm just fucking with you. She's in that. Okay. Uh, okay. And I bloody love her because even though she's in, as I've just listed, mostly trash, <laughs> I love her. And I think she is wasted in this. Admittedly, this was filmed 10 years ago, so maybe not everyone knew what a gem she was yet, but still. Also, Mia in this movie is like my spirit animal. Because <laughs> she's a, a broken little goth girl? Yes, that's me. <laughs> that's literally Charles. That's his entire bio. I wear all black, I smoke cigarettes, and I don't want anyone to touch me. You give out handy J's at the dance? I would at, say she definitely... more places than just the dance. She definitely uh, wants to be touched. Cause... <laughs> I mean, with express permission, like earlier yes. in the movie, she's like, do you want me to suck your dick? I'm not going to suck your dick. And then she fucks him. <laughs> right. She's got a lot going on. This girl. And I appreciate that. She's my favorite. <laughs> I mean, no, she, but, but I feel like though when they reveal that Tim is her brother and like she has her one moment of like, you know, oh, he's probably dead. Like, you know, like, why didn't you find it? Because her dad's the cop also. I, I don't think, I don't know. If that we I did not that. say that. No. Okay. Um, but. Also, though, because <laughs> he dies in this movie, she's really fucked by the end of this movie. And they don't return to her. No. Yeah. I don't like that. That makes me mad. That's I agree. What, I agree. That brought my score down in this movie a lot because I 
this is not me about about me being a grumpy old man. This is about me being a total Pollyanna. I don't know what that means. I just have a lot of feelings. I wish we could all bake a cake made of hugs and get together <laughs> and just sing it out. Oh my um, God, you don't even go here. I, I don't. You, I don't. You host a queer horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I am frustrated a lot. Um, <laughs> no, I'm happy with characters to suffer and do stuff that's in horror films, fine. But when a character is introduced for no reason than for us to watch them suffer and the sum conclusion whether intentional or accidental, is that they just get to suffer a whole lot more. That makes me furious. And I know that Mia is like a fourth-tier character in this movie, but we meet a girl who was already fucked up because her brother is missing, presumed dead, and by the end of the movie, um, her dad's dead, and she gets no reprieve whatsoever. It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. I'm more... Mm. I'm. Had we even gotten a scene of her finding out that her dad was dead, I don't mind the fact that she's still suffering. I mean, obviously, I feel bad for her. Like, I don't want her to suffer, um, even though I don't know her that well as a character. But yeah, the fact that, you know, she is introduced, she is a pseudo-major player in the game, like a major supporting character, but we don't return to her after the twist of her character is revealed. And the and that's exactly what it's treated as. Like the the yeah. Tim reel is a twist, and then it's like the movie's done with her after that. So that that does bother me, but not just not the purpose of her character. That doesn't bother sure. me. Yeah, yeah. I think the ending is challenging in part because I think Byron wants to end on a bit of an uplifting note, so he doesn't want to have the Debbie Downer of like, oh, this sad girl is going to be even more sad. But mm. I think you're both right that it doesn't entirely satisfy, and it kind of cheapens. It makes the twist feel a bit cheap as a result. Well, when it happened, I liked it. I was like, oh, like, that's cool. That explains why she is the way she is. Neat. So I do have I do have multiple explanations for why I think this film or why this subplot is in this film. Okay. Because I know that a lot of people on the first time watch, particularly early on, they're like, what the fuck are these other scenes doing in here? They have no because you keep waiting for the stories to interconnect, right? Because that's how Hollywood story typically works I mean, and sean burns says fuck you hollywood i'm making my own movie more or less yeah so i think there's feel free to interject at any point here i think there's like three different reasons why this storyline exists the first one is like an ironic juxtaposition to the different types of dances slash proms that are going on so you've got brent's like total shit horrible one that's like filled with torture and trauma and then you've Mm -hmm. got this other one which is kind of like regular people being a little bit sad trying to connect going to the dance not having the best of time but it's like that's what regular adolescent life is so it's like look at these two different versions of the same Mm -hmm. kind of evening i can see that i like that see i liked that because we find out later what the twist is what her, that her brother is missing slash dead i like that it gave her more of a character development instead of just being the random angry goth girl like you understand her more so she has a reason to be that way because they could have just made her the angry goth girl for no fucking reason mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. also that the same thing with her brother he could have just been some random dude in the road that had no connection to anything. That's interesting, though, too, is because in, Mia and, and Brent never come face to face, but her brother is the reason his dad is dead. Yeah. So that could yeah. have also been an interesting avenue to explore that the movie doesn't. And I get, like, you know, how are you going to organically bring these two characters together, like, given what the movie is? But it still would have been nice. Well, I do think 
actually, Charles, that's one of the reasons that I think it exists is this idea that the the impact of Lola and Daddy's crime spree has this far reaching uh, implications mm. out into the community. So mm-hmm. even though you don't get the payoff of her finding out about her brother, finding out about her father, finding out about anything to do with this, you get this sense that Lola and Daddy's crimes are not this isolated thing because they seem to just be happening in this one isolated house in the middle of buttfuck nowhere outside yeah. of Melbourne. And I think this other storyline is to suggest that like, yeah, there's a bunch of like ripple effects that have fucked up this entire community and they don't even know the reason why they're messed up. But like, here's, you know, you're seeing immediate trauma happening to Brent, but there's actually other people who have been hurt the residual trauma. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I kind of like that because, you know, normally in a horror movie or any kind of movie in which there are serial killers or serial crimes, the impact of their previous crimes that happened before the film takes place are just represented by, like a bunch of missing posters. Yeah. Newspaper mm-hmm. headlines. <laughs> yeah. For this to be, for this to have uh, tangible real world effects on the entire film universe, I dig that. And the reality is, is that sometimes people don't find out what happened or they don't get any kind of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little more Debbie Downer, but it's kind of true to life in that way. Well, this movie is nothing if not efficient. Um, it makes good use. Like, I don't think there's a wasted minute in the 79 minute runtime. Although, again, um, Christopher, you, your mileage may vary with those scenes with Jamie and Mia. But I'm never one to say, oh, I want that movie to be longer. But I actually could have done with a longer movie exploring more of that. But again, yes. that's not the movie Burns wanting to tell. He's wanting to tell the story of Brent with these bits, like glimpses of, yes, Joe, like you said, like how this this murder spree affects certain members of the community. I also think it's interesting that like with the, when they cut to the scenes with Jamie and Mia, because Jamie is Brent's best friend, mm-hmm. he never really kind of wonders why he's not at the dance. Yeah. But also like, well, I was expecting Brent or I'm not sorry, Brent, Jamie, Jamie, because he's his best friend to be like the savior to come and yeah. get everything. Cause that happens a lot in movies, but that's yeah. a bit of a subversion, right? No. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Part of it is that, like, Jamie is such an asshole. Like, even even his introduction is all about, like, how he's going to get laid. Even though his obviously, like, suicidal best friend is not doing well directly in front of him. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm totally going to go fuck that chick tonight. <laughs> you're like, mm, yeah. wow, you're great. You're a bit of an asshole. Which is my third and final reason why I think the storyline exists. This one's dark, folks. Okay. Um, I'm not going to claim credit for this. This is from my writing partner, Valeska Griffith. She, in her review of this film, she suggests that part of the juxtaposition function of this storyline is to show that there are villains hiding in plain sight and that Jamie, with or without really acknowledging it, is a bit of a sexual predator because the whole introduction to Mia's scenes is that she's drinking heavily. She's smoking up. She's totally fucked up. So by the time that they have sex, she actually is unable to give consent. So Jamie is a rapist, bad guy, if you want to look at it seriously. So Lola is kind of like, she's a more homicidal version of the same kind of like villain hiding in plain sight that Jamie is. So you could argue that, the the sheer horror the the movie style ramped up menace of lola is just something that women face every single day yeah 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 
That's it's like that's horrifying super fucking grim. <laughs> it is, it is. And I tell you what, as often happens with uh, movies that I come out of being annoyed by, uh, upon reflection and reading and talking about it, I tend to soften my view. Because I, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I was annoyed by this. And one of my biggest annoyances was everything Jamie and Mia. And there was the one scene where they are having sex in the car. Mm-hmm. And you see a shot of Daddy come out of his house and walk. Yeah, just and out you of his think house and walk that the away. car is in his front yard. Yeah, because then someone walks up to the car, knocks on the door, on the window. No, it's just the school principal because they're still in the car park. And at that moment, I was like, "Have I watched thirty minutes of these two fuckwits <laughs> simply to get a false horror twist, like a like a, a yeah. fake a jump scare? Get fucked! I was so mad." Um, <laughs> But all this stuff is like, oh, okay, maybe there was a reason for it and I shouldn't fly out the handle quite so quickly. I mean, I'll confess, I I don't know that it entirely works, even though I've given three different versions for why it's okay that it's in there. But I mm-hmm. think part of it is that as audiences who are jaded and have been raised primarily on Hollywood horror films, the fact that it doesn't pay off in that more traditional sense, I think is why so many people are like, Gah, this is a bit of like dead weight. Because it also mm-hmm. means we're not spending time with Lola and Brent, and those are like the fucking stars of the show, right? Yeah. Well, like, they, we uh, want more time with Lola. <laughs> you you have an hour of actually less than an hour, fifty five minutes of time with the Lola kidnapping plot. So I mean, it's so funny because it, it doesn't seem like there's that. Like, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of screen time for them, but there. I mean, it 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 feels long. I think just because of all the torture that's going on there. Yeah. Well, they really make the best of the time. I I also applaud this idea that this is a narrative that takes place over a couple of hours. It's not like she's torturing him for weeks and stuff. Like, this is condensed, it's efficient, and the fact that he is able to survive it at all is kind of miraculous. But at least it's not like, oh god, he would not be able to to survive this. It's like, well, he endures it for a couple of hours, and then... I, yeah. I, did, I did want to go back, though, because like you mentioned that, you know, Mia couldn't, by that point, she couldn't give consent. She does tell Jamie to fuck her. Now, granted, no, she's Trace, wasted. Come on. This is this is not how consent works. <laughs> People who are oh, high or drunk cannot <laughs> okay, give gotcha, consent. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You're right. Sorry. I'm going to edit that out. Um, no, keep it in. It's important. Because <laughs> that's... that's one of the excuses that people will often say is that it's like, oh, well, you know, she or he wanted it. And it's like, yeah, but if they're fucked off of their tree, then it doesn't matter what they're actually saying. They're not in their right mind to be able to give consent. So, Gotcha. Yeah. Now, Christopher, so what else annoyed you in this movie? Because I feel like we should just tackle those things before we get into, like, Lola. Unless Lola annoyed you. God, no. Oh, um... Queer Look, icon think... Lola, the main reason we're covering this movie, no one <laughs> yeah. can be offended. Revoke the gay cards if you're offended by her. <laughs> no, and Robert McLeavy, what a dark horse, because as I emailed you a couple weeks ago, both, not both, what's the word, what's the three version of both? Trith, Trith, Xavier <laughs> Samuel, <laughs> just go with it, just just yep. write it out. Yep. Robert McLeavy, Richard Wilson, and whoever plays Holly, mm-hmm. Victoria Thane, uh, are the three main cast members of another Australian movie called 48 Shades, which is based on a young adult novel, one of my f- my very favourite young adult novel called 48 Shades of Brown. <laughs> is it, did that come out after 50 Shades no, of Brown? No, it's before. Before, oh. it's before. Oh. And it has nothing to do with BDSM. Yeah, I just, At all. Yeah, okay. Um, and 
So in it, Rich Wilson, Jamie, plays this awkward uh, Michael Sarah type, and Robin McLeavy is his barely older than him aunt, like only three years <coughs> older than him, but then looks after him when his parents fuck off to Switzerland. And awkward teenage YA stuff comes out. It's very funny. It's very low-key. There's not very not a lot of high stakes. Uh, the 48 Shades of Brown relates to him trying to make conversation with the girl he likes, played by Victoria Thane. And it's trivia, and it's a thing he's learnt, that there are 48 different shades of brown. Oh, God. He does that, sound yeah. like Michael Sarah, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. But Robin McClavey, from my reading of the book, because I love the book so much, and also Sidebar happened to star in a play adaptation of Same. <laughs> no big deal. I don't want to talk about it. I know. Nice plug. Please don't bring attention to it. <laughs> Please don't watch it on YouTube. I was very attached to it, and she did not sell cool, chill, uh, effortlessly chic aunt. She just didn't. Uh, and so when she's in this, I'm like, okay, let's see what you're doing. And she just kills it. Literally. Yeah. yeah. She is phenomenal. Even when that character gets a little bit over OTT, which is why we're talking about it, because it's camp as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just so wonderful. That's... I. I was mesmerized by her every time yes. she spoke. It's I, she makes the sometimes like the most like, inane lines compelling. It's I don't I, half of my notes are literally just her lines. Yeah, yeah, and and some of the things that annoyed me are things that she saved. Like there is a thing. See, Australian cinema can be a little bit of a very small industry, and so. We don't get a hundred opportunities a year to make a movie or to tell a story. And I think when we do, we get a bit like a kid at a dessert buffet. Like, I'm going to include everything. Which is why this teen slasher film, or stalker film, uh, is also about grief. And also a little bit about incest. And also about cannibalism. And also about lobotomies. Like, it's all these things just shoved into the one movie. That kind of annoyed me. Really? A little bit. Like, a little bit. It is a bit of a kitchen sink approach. Well, I, I like the kitchen sink approach, though. I think I, it's so bonkers and nuts that I'm like, all right, you got me. I'm into it. And that's why I also claim there's a, a, an, ult- an element of cultural cringe, because if this was a movie made in another country, I'd be like, oh, this movie's bonkers. I love it. But because it's particularly Australian, I'm like, oh, God, they're doing that Australian thing. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think they're making a commentary on Australians as a whole? <laughs> no, God, I hope not. No, I think it's it's just a side effect of Australian cinema being such a small industry and being so we're so starved to make a movie that when we get to make one, we're like, I'm gonna make a movie about everything. That sounded like a jackass sound to you. Yeah, you did. like a coming sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we go any further, can I'm gonna define cultural cringe because it was actually part of the reason that I wanted to bring up around the bad box office that the film mm-hmm. had in uh, mm-hmm. Australia. So I I read an interesting, mildly academic piece called Australian Horror Movies and the American Market by Mark David Ryan, and he actually cites cultural cringe as one of the reasons why Australian horror films do not 
do well in Australia. So cultural cringe is a term that was coined by a literary critic Australian named Arthur Phillips in 1950, and it's associated with a cringing embarrassment towards the Australian accent, syntax, and vocabulary, as well as the feeling that Australian cinema is mundane and found wanting compared to US films, and that local audiences devalue local films as inferior or debased. And not in just a, oh, it's not very good. The cringe part is integral because you see our own artistic content and go, oh, oh, God. Yeah, like it's it's so fucking Australian. Oh, God. Yeah. Do you think that's specific to movies? Because I feel like a lot of Australians really love like television that comes out from their country, but not necessarily movies. It is more specific to movies. It tends to have have a bleeding effect to all of culture. But I think it's also especially prevalent in things like genre. So like if you go sort of away from the mainstream, so I find And the reason that this really resonated with me is because Canadians literally have the exact same thing. Like, no Canadian wants to watch a Canadian movie when there's a Hollywood (laughs) film right there. That's a generalization, obviously. Yeah, but you you have a huge boner for David Cronenberg. Like, Jesus. No, I'm like the weird, rare person. Well, not really. But there's, like, most people in Canada have not seen Canadian movies. And I'm imagining that with Australians, it's kind of like, well, why would I see the loved ones when i could watch you know saw wait no that's also kind of a story <laughs> ah but see saw is the know. you know we, we got behind saw because they went over to america to make it oh mm-hmm. that legitimized it this movie and because wolf creek I'm, I'm going into even like american box office and american reception because this wolf creek and rogue the um greg mclean crocodile movie they all had issues with American releases. I mean, Wolf Creek got the widest release, but they fucking released it on Christmas, and it didn't make any money. (laughs) They tried to do counter-programming, but Australia only embraced Wolf Creek after it was a big, heralded uh, release in North America. And interestingly enough, though, John Gerard, who plays the killer in Wolf Creek, was offered the role of daddy in this movie, but he turned it down because he didn't want to be typecast. And poor guy, it happened to him anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it did. (laughs) He's still playing that fucking role on the TV show. (laughs) But yeah, and that's that's just part of, uh, you know, as much as you try to not be cultural cringy, the entire career in North America of Paul Hogan was a direct swing back from cultural cringe an attempt to claim it back to own it like yeah we're australian yeah, so yeah, australian. we talk like this yeah that's the crocodile hunter in case people don't know dundee oh sorry yes but but steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter <laughs> also part of that <laughs> mm-hmm. i just can't believe he's confusing crocodile dundee and the crocodile hunter <laughs> Both crocodile Well, it's because one is like a, a fucking farce of the other one, which is yeah. a farce on the culture. Exactly. And so it was an attempt to claim it back, and it worked for a little while, uh, hence Olivia Newton-John. But it's then swung back the other way again. Paul Hogan became emblematic of cultural cringe 2.0, because like, oh god, he's gone too far. And then he got a whole bunch of facelifts. And then we all started to point out that actually, motherfucker... We don't drink Fosters, and we don't say shrimp. You yeah. fucked it up for all of us. So then it swung back again, and this is a thing we have battled with ever since. Yeah. I'll never forget when I arrived in Australia, I got like a talking point of things from my Canadian boss who had already been living there for a while. <laughs> and she was like, do not mention Fosters. Do not mention shrimp on the Barbie Like you will immediately be identified as a fucking idiot and you will be ostracized. 
Yeah, except exactly. Yeah, because I had the pleasure of living there for almost a year and a half. So, where did you live? I lived in Newcastle, which is a couple hours north of Sydney. For other people, I you probably know. Although you were West Coast. No, I'm East. Okay. I was born and raised in Brisbane. I lived in Canberra for a while, which, oh, for yes. people who don't know, is Australia's Washington, D.C. And fun fact, the two are identical <laughs> in terms of overall feel. I lived in Sydney for 10 days. Oh. That was nine <laughs> days too long. And then Melbourne. So, all East Coast. Okay. So, this movie was shot, apparently, just outside of Melbourne. Yeah, in a town... Call is it a town or a suburb? I'm actually not sure. Uh, it's Kynaton. Uh, I don't know. I only ever stuck downtown when I went to Melbourne for the coffee. Well, this is all fascinating. Sorry, <laughs> we'll reminisce <laughs> sorry. later. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I talk about cultural cringe and then happily talk dully about Australia for a good ten minutes. It just sounds like your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And Charles is over there in the corner, like... I was gonna say, like, I'm Charles, not talking. Charles, we haven't heard from you in a while. Shut the old people up and pipe in with something. No, I mean, I, I, I don't really know uh, much about Australia. Usually there's one point in every episode uh, where I ask Chris something about Australia based on the movie. Um, but this one specifically, I'm assuming that you guys definitely have, like... KFCs. End of uh, yeah, KFC. Um, oh, yep. don't get him started on fucking KFC in Australia versus America. Oh my god! Oh, no. <laughs> you don't have you don't have chips in your KFCs. What the fuck? Uh, we have potato wedges. I'm sorry, they suck. They're they're different. They're horrible. They're terrible. <laughs> but um, would you like when you do that? Would is it closer to like how Americans do prom? And is there a king and a queen? Because I know that in Britain. People think that proms are weird, but they've recently started to like have that be a thing over there, and it's a really big part of American high school culture. Yeah, no, not at all. And let me completely hypocritically pivot from dunking on Australia to dunking on American marketing for Australian films, because the American trailer, which is the only trailer available on Amazon Prime, if that's where you're getting your movie from, A, dubs in the word prom where no such word exists in the movie itself. It's yes. just a school dance. Right. And we have school <laughs> dances. We have them several times a year. They're not seasonal. They're just held at times. We have an end of year formal, uh, but it's called a formal, and it's the dress is much more formal. Um, <laughs> but just a regular dress-up school dance is a is a random event not only did the trailer dub in the word prom but in the admittedly very funny scene where jamie tries to do a butt slide over the bonnet of the car they reversed that they flipped the footage around so it looked like he was getting out of an american car oh that's uh, dumb. i didn't notice that oh yeah i didn't yeah. Know either why would you even try to hide this? Like, the Why minute bother? you start playing it, it's pretty fucking Australian. <laughs> Especially because because he's a 17-year-old and because he's in Australia, he's a P-plater. Yes. He's got his provisional license and there's a giant P on the windscreen. Okay, so now you have to describe what P-plates are because no one will understand that. When you first go... No, guess. Go, guess first and I'll correct you. Like, P-plate... P it's so there's there's a little image in everybody's window. Like every single teenager that you see driving has a little P in their windshield. So they're called P plates. It's provisional. You've got your provisional license. Oh, we, we have that here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a form of integrated driving. So it basically means that none of these people should be driving out late. They shouldn't be driving on the highway. Uh, they're they're not allowed to have any out blood alcohol. Yeah. Which means like Jamie's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there are some certain speed limits too, which 
sucks for the rest of the drivers. Yeah. But it plays into this movie in a really important way because that's why Brent is driving with his father at the beginning of the movie is because he doesn't know how to drive and he's trying to he's either trying to get his P plates or he already has it and he's trying to uh, ace his driving exam. So if he's if he's at that stage where he's trying to learn, he's still on his L plates. Oh my god, this is so confusing. What does um, the P stand for? <laughs> Provisional. Oh, right, because I just went to water sports. Um, <laughs> well, no, the, I, I was literally like, is it like a protective barrier in a urinal? Like, is that what it is? <laughs> no, it's so no, that when you, you pee in your car, you don't splash against the windshield. Right. right. When you pee in terror because you're not good at driving. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because in Australia, like, when people see a pee plate, they, like, it's the way that, like, that horribly racist adage in the U.S. goes, where it's like, oh, if you see an Asian driver, like, get the fuck out of the way because they're going to kill you. But oh in Australia, because they're also quite racist and also ageist and weird and all these other things. Correct. Whenever they see pee plates, it's like, oh, fuck, if that, if that person is on the road, get away because they will murder you with their car because they can't drive for shit. And then they did in this movie. Yeah. So he's really just, you know, strengthening that idea that stereotype yeah thanks thanks for the stereotypes brent <laughs> so do y'all um what do y'all think of xavier samuel in this movie because i i gotta say i love him and i think he's gorgeous i hate that he has long hair in this movie because it oh makes him God. very unattractive but it's like who had who had long hair as a comment that trace would <laughs> i me i said at the beginning of the episode i'm fucking saying it again but no i i love him and i i actually think that given that he doesn't speak for most of this movie gets a very good performance in there especially when it's compared to lola hundo absolutely at the beginning of the movie i was like Ugh, okay he's letting his hair do the acting yeah and mo- uh, my notes for the first 10 minutes were just like get your hand off it i i get it you're very sad this is overdone <laughs> but no he turns it out okay wait <laughs> wait 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 so you're annoyed by his grief poem but you wanted more stuff for Mia because you weren't annoyed by, like, you wanted more development for her. Yeah. Well, yes. Charles, is he normally this contrary? Yes. Okay. <laughs> also, that's not contrary. Brent gets, for for better or for worse, a somewhat happy ending. Yeah, that's true. That's kind true. Of. Sort of. Mia just gets a, uh... I mean, he'll never <laughs> be able to walk again, but... Yeah, sort of happy ending. That was when I was like, oh, that's good acting. When he gets those knives shoved into his feet and Lola's just like sitting on his lap like a fucking sadist being like, cry for me, cry for me, cry for me. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like not screaming. (laughs) It's like Passion of the Christ level. I actually think that the knives in the feet were more difficult for me to watch than the drill in the forehead. Same. I can't, Mm. I can't, when it comes to horror movies, the like... You can do almost anything to anyone in a horror movie, but if it involves like cutting off fingers or toes mm-hmm. or feet, I can't do that. It it freaks me out. It it takes me to a place that I'm like, oh no! I I literally it's the only time in movies I cover my eyes. Yeah. What about eye stuff, Charles? Also eye stuff. Yeah. Like yeah, in Hostel, no, thank you. The eye stuff is like the yeah. big thing for me. Usually, I don't have a problem with feet unless it's Achilles tendons. I don't like seeing those get see that's weird that doesn't bother me yeah no i don't like that it's it's eyes and fingernails for me but i i I think it's because he's like hammering the knives into his feet it goes on yeah it's yeah it is prolonged sequences of violence in this movie i wouldn't necessarily say it's an overtly gory film but it's like the violence hits hard 
Well, it's funny because if you read U.S. reviews, the number of films that will say that this movie is aping Hostel and that it's part of the torture porn cycle that's happening, which is like not even correct because this is 2009 and Hostel is 2004. Well, but most reviews are going to be coming out in America in 2012. Yeah, it's just like... Like, by that point, the torture porn cycle is completely over. We're mm-hmm. well into J-horror. So it's it's like, oh, there's some extended graphic horror, which is kind of on par with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if we're being honest. But everybody is, like, so fucking lazy in their descriptions that mm-hmm. they're basically mm-hmm. just saying it's torture porn. Oh, yeah. I, I, a lot of stuff that I read about this movie um, said that it was, like, Texas Chainsaw meets, like, The Prom, essentially. <laughs> oh, God. So original. Wow. That is fucking lazy. That is it bad is. writing. <laughs> even as we, like, as you guys just said, it's not gory. It's confronting. It's uncomfortable. It is disturbing and violent, which is more a testament to the way it's shot and edited together than it is to the... Yeah. Fake blood. Absolutely. And that, that's where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre comparison, though, would be apt, because that movie, which has very, very little blood in it, people always remember it being very gory because it's so uncomfortable to watch. Now, this one, granted, of course, does have a lot more blood than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it, yeah. it, I think that you'll walk away from it remembering more gore than what's actually on screen. Yeah, and a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of the torture that specifically happens to Brent happens off screen and you see the aftermath of it yeah yeah i think the other reason that the that texas chainsaw comes up is because he's seated at a table and he has to endure this dinner sequence Mm, right that makes sense i i didn't even think about that (laughs) it's definitely an influence i would say but it's not it's just it's lazy film criticism you know and i mean i've been guilty of it too it's like oh it's like this meets this like meets this uh with a sprinkling of this i mean but that's also just a lazy way to describe a movie and i fully admit it there's a, no, but there's a difference between using shorthand to get people on board with what the movie's about if they haven't necessarily seen it. And missing the point. And missing the point, yeah. And going, watching the movie as a reviewer and going, oh, this reminds me of a scene in Blah Movie. This is exactly like Blah yeah. Movie. Like, that is, yeah. that's, a, that's a, not A to B. That's A to fucking J. Yeah. Because <laughs> this movie does have obvious, like, very obvious horror homages. And so I, I got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I got... People under the stairs. I got the descent Ooh, when yeah. he's climbing up the mountain of bones, mm-hmm. and then of course mm-hmm. there's Wolf Creek when you've got Lola on the road hunting people down and getting run over by cars and that kind of stuff. <sighs> okay, okay, I want to talk about that. Shall we go into that and then we'll backtrack and talk about Lola more generally? Yeah, yeah. Because I also want to talk about the comedy in the film and if it wor- whether it works for you guys or not. And we're already at the hour mark, and like I, I, I don't want to like belabor the point too much. So talk to us about the end, Trace. I. I am so fucking robbed that we don't see this bitch die. It makes me <laughs> so mad. Oh my god. All we get, I mean, we get the great shot of her crawling down the road and her wrist bone is popped out. Oh, it's my favorite. And then we get the close-up of her face for a good, like, 20 seconds. And then it's like a split-second shot of just, like, the car hits her head and then it cuts away. So you wanted, like, a full-on, like, tire-going-over-head-crushing kind of moment? Yes. I felt like we were owed that. Hmm. Did you not interpolate, or is it extrapolate, one of the polites, the data, <laughs> of that last shot, and assume her head was, like, snapped back and 
taken clean off her body? Oh no, he just he wanted to see it. That's uh, his complaint. You want you want to see it rot bouncing back down the road towards Kynaton? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, or, or, or yeah, or just like literally like crushed under this car. I mean, also, I just feel like as much torture we've watched Brent go through, it's only fair. Like, and I, I guess we kind of get it with Daddy when he because his the next stabbing with Daddy is pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. But arguably, the reason we don't see it is because we don't, as we just said, we don't really see any of the violence in this movie. Like, maybe you wanted to see more of the aftermath? I'm a big proponent of seeing villains die. (laughs) (laughs) No, but on that point, I definitely agree with you. I think because of how menacing she was Mm -hmm. and how much torture she inflicted, I could have stood for a bit more comeuppance coming her way. Yeah. I, I... totally understand that point of wanting to see her well I, i'm gonna say suffer which will have people accusing me of being contrary again but i'm not it's comeuppance <laughs> it's justice yeah no no it's not like you're 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 advocating for violence against women just this woman right when when she attacks holly yes Ooh, the whole time yeah. that all i wanted was like i'm like kick her kick her kick her kick her which she Avatar. does she kicks kick her, her in the face and that's that's pretty boss i think it's too because like she not that I expected her to learn a lesson, because literally to her dying breath, she is crawling, trying to get to him. And she's insane. Yes. Like, I totally get it. And so it's because we don't, we're not going to get this, like, moment of, like, you know, her learning her lesson or them being, like, you stupid cunt. Like, I'm going to stab you in the face. Like, I would at least just like to have that moment of violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not the end of Death Proof, right? Like, we're not going to get that kind of catharsis. Like, at this <sighs> point, the film is really already over. Although I do wonder, and I'm interested to hear what all of you think, do you feel like this ending is a bit rushed? Yes. Like, is it just because we get more prolonged torture sequences and then the ending is really just kind of quick? Like, is that maybe one of the reasons why it doesn't feel quite as satisfying because it doesn't feel like it's on par with what we've seen Brent go through? I think maybe. I think when she was crawling along the road, by that point I was like, okay, I'm ready for her to be killed now. <laughs> so in that respect, I was ready for the movie, or at least the story to end. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think it, we get to the credits a bit quickly, in some part because of Jamie and Mia and other characters who have not yet had their conclusions. Yeah. Which we never get anyway, so whatever. Yeah. But Well, but that's it's because Byrne is just wanting to tell you Brent's story. It is only right. about him. Which I get, and for the sake of expediency, it works. But again, like if you if you have connected with the other characters, and I, I actually quite liked Holly. I wish she had more to do. But yeah, like it, 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 the movie does rob you of those moments with those side characters. See, I think the ending where you just watch for a good what fifteen twenty seconds the slow motion of her mm-hmm. watching the car come back towards her, and then that split second of just watching her head snap um, that you don't really see because it happens too fast. I thought that that was a really interesting ending for her and i didn't really need more gore because i know that she's dead yeah Mm -hmm. um but it was really nice watching not really watching her go oh fuck i'm dying but kind of going all right i'm gonna die like they're gonna hit me with this car and that's just watching her face slowly twist in the into that expression yeah was all i needed i wonder if the intention was because 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 the way it's edited if it was meant to be comic relief like was it supposed to be funny i think so like, she's so ridiculous crawling down the road. Like, that moment you think when she gets hit by the car, I remember the first time I saw it, I definitely thought that she was dead. And that was just going to be it. So when you still mm-hmm. see her slowly making her way down with the knife, you're just like, 
this bitch is crazy. Well, I think b- before they reveal her crawling down the road, which I need that as a gift for something. I'm not sure what yet, but I need it. Um, she... <laughs> it it's that long shot, though, of like, you know, the car on the left side of the screen and her on the right side of the screen. And she's just like dragging herself with the knife. Well, I thought we were almost going to get sequel bait because I looked at the back of the road and I was like, where is she? But like, where? Her oh, yeah. body she's has to just be somewhere. And then I thought that she was just going to be gone and they were going to be like hugging in the car and that was going to be the end of it. So after thinking that for a split second and then seeing her fantastically crawl down the road, I was like, oh, okay. And then she died. I was like, there, we get a, we get a nice clean ending. Yeah. If anything, we would get a prequel, not a sequel. Yeah. Uh, that I would pay for that. I, I would too. Well, because also, yeah, she has three boys in the basement and then the one Timmy that got away. So there's plenty of prequel material. Although, you, you know, Rob McLeavy hasn't exactly gotten younger in 10 years, but still. No, it'd be interesting to like know how Timmy got out and how come they didn't track him down or... I'm imagining like a weird Children of the Corn. Oh, it's kind of like Children of the Corn too. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> huh. Well, Children of the Corn opens with the original Children of the Corn yeah. opens with them avoiding hitting a boy in the middle of the road who escapes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the opening of this movie also kind of does the Texas Chainsaw Massacre opening where someone's just randomly in the road. I mean, yeah, his, his, his Burns influences are there, but the movie very much like feels like its own thing. You know, it doesn't feel like a ripoff at any time for me, at least. Yeah. Agreed. Is it because Lola is such a distinctly unique character and villain? Yeah, I mean, have we have we ever had a character like a villainess like Lola before? No, but I think we've had a lot who've tried. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my closest comparison would be like, oh, it, it was like Misery, like Kathy Bates, mm-hmm. but never like a crazy. I mean, I think part of what makes Lola such a queer icon is the fact that unlike. I uh, can't even remember the character's name from Misery. Annie Wilkes. Thank you, Annie Wilkes. Unlike Annie Wilkes, Lola's young, and she's actually pretty, and she's passable in terms of the way that she can function within society. <laughs> Kathy Bates is listening to this going, fuck you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Bates, at me. <laughs> the only woman that I would compare her to in horror, tone-wise, would be May from may oh. i could see that i mean i think may is more of a tragic story because i i really feel for may i whereas with lola i don't but they both have very sort of detailed imaginative interior lives right where mm-hmm. what what's happening on the inside is clearly affecting the way that they're interacting with the outside world but it's not in a good way well so do you think this is a nature versus nurture or, or nurture thing for lola because i mean let's go into her home life let's go into her family because her mother is lobotomized and she's obviously jealous of her mom right mm-hmm. so do we think that she was just born nutso or did this incestuous well because her and her dad hadn't had sex because she she has that moment when they're dancing when she finally says, oh, you're my king. Like, it's always been you. I've been trying to find someone and it's always been you. So what what is this family? I think that was that would have been, had they not been interrupted, the very beginning of an incestuous relationship. I don't think it existed before then because I think the very clear... What's his name who played Daddy? Uh, Brumpton. John, John Brumpton, Brumpton. yeah. Mm-hmm did a very, very good job of making it clear in that scene early in the film where he's watching her put her party dress yeah, on. Yeah, it's so creepy. That he is into it. He is desperately into it, but he knows it's wrong and is trying so hard to reel it in. Yeah. I mean, that's at least what I got from it. But the 
interrogating Lola's childhood, her backstory, is where I do actually feel for her a little bit. Because it's one thing to have this uh, 17-year-old girl who is a complete psycho and is going to lobotomize and essentially kill the boy she is attracted to. But you find out she's been doing this her entire life. Like, she never had a chance to be a, a, a regular person. Oh, see, that's interesting because I read her as the person who's doing this and her dad is going along with it. Oh. And then it, it kind of, her mother's story, I want to know more about that. Like, how, when, and why was she lobotomized? Was it done by Lola? Well, we know that it wasn't physically oh, no, done by right. her because it's the first drilling. But this is the first time, yeah. I think she made Daddy do it because she was jealous of the affection between the two of them. Which is why she oh. has no issue smothering her mother the minute that her dad is dead. Yeah. Right. Oh, then maybe I take it all back. Because it's the Electra complex, right? Like, she's in love with her yeah. father and resentful of her mother. And yep. she basically just seeks to replicate that same relationship, which is why she's constantly searching for her king. And then for as long as this all could have been happening, has her mother been lobotomized the whole time? Or was she complicit in what was happening until Lola got too jealous? Oh, gosh. Who knows? That's a very old wound. I'd say lobotomized the whole time. Yeah, I okay. wonder if they started with her and then it was like, all right, oh. let's see if we can find me a boy. I definitely do want to know how they how they came up with their method of lobotomization. Oh because God. the, the oh. boiling water. Oh. Well, first, oh, God. Like, I... So I had forgotten about the boiling water, and oh. I was watching this. So Charles and Chris, you wouldn't know this, but uh, my husband does not enjoy horror movies at you all. You made him watch this one too? <laughs> he was he was like partially watching, and then... I think that's all he does. He partially watches He partially things. watches all of them, yes. But the minute that we got to that scene, he once again... So we had just watched Audition a couple weeks ago, and then for this one, he was like, no, seriously, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> that was like besides the feet was probably the most uncomfortable part of the movie for me because i was like but one is that a thing i mean boiling boiling water in someone's head oh, is definitely well, gonna fuck up their brain and you're but gonna where did burn their from? face too because the water's gonna fall down their face that, that's what i kept thinking like fuck the brain but like your face is fucked well i think you're meant to tilt them back and then slowly pour into the hole which is why the hole needs to be big enough and don't ask me big why i've thought yeah. about this <laughs> no this is a thing i had to confront within myself as well because my watching that scene went in the following order. I went, "Oh, this is oh, this is hard to watch. Oh, this is oh no, it's disgusting. Oh, I'm I'm really freaked. Oh, it's gross. How this I don't work? Like it. Like, Why don't you get a funnel? Just get a funnel. Yeah, yeah I was like, get a funnel. You'll be good to go. But, but I, I and and then I was like, oh no. I love the moment though when she's trying to do it, and then she goes, "Daddy, can you make the hole bigger?" That was my attempt at an Australian <laughs> accent. I'm sorry, but uh. I, I love how childlike she is, and yeah. even though their relationship is disgusting, it's so, like, cute? I don't know. Yeah. Well, she's so no, she, cute. She keeps those balls in the air the whole time of being menacing, sexual, and so childlike, but and then not in a way that's lolly to eat. Also, who among us hasn't said, Daddy, can you make the hole bigger? <laughs> oh, there <laughs> it is. Shade. Well done, Charles. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. So that's your gayest bit of dialogue is what you're saying? I guess so. Uh, the amount of times that daddy, just the word itself, is said in this movie is a complete brand infringement of me. It's upsetting <laughs> and not fair. I know, but I think using daddy is like a very non-American thing. Like, I feel like, and, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like Brits and Australians and New Zealanders, I feel like daddy's more common to say, like in like a serious way, not in like a sexual way. 
Fully, absolutely. I mean, you couldn't make that argument now in 2019. It's it swung back via America into gay lexicon. But you're absolutely correct. I think it held a more innocent connotation for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But watching it through 2019, it's very kinky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think daddy in America, like calling your father daddy, is more a little bit more prevalent in the South, I would say. Well, I think also for younger... No, because I'm in Texas. <laughs> well, not, not, not like Texas, like Georgia, North Carolina, sort of like that part of the South. Oh, maybe. Mm. Ge- Georgian, South Carolinians, um, if you're out there, let us know. Yes. Do you call your father daddy? Will you drink mint juleps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I know is that Blanche Devereaux calls her father Big Daddy, which there we go. is one step even further. There you go. <laughs> but it definitely suggests a certain amount of infantilization, right? Like she's emotionally right. stunted to a certain degree as well. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to watch this in 2019 and be like, oh, the daddy stuff just kind of even makes it more sexual now as a result. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess I can see y'all's point, though, where it does add a certain level of sympathy for Lola because obviously, like, you know, like her dad's nuts. But I, I still think she's a huge cunt. I don't like her. I mean, I, I like her. For sure. I like her, but I don't like her, if that makes wow. any sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, to to talk on the infantilization, one thing I did notice when she put on... No, not when she put on a party dress, but that party dress she's wearing, she's worn the exact same one every year in different sizes, because one of the earliest photos, she's wearing the exact same dress as a small girl. Oh, yes. Uh, That is so weird. I do think, too, that the movie um, handles escalation very well, um, because it's, like, just, like, you know, one more thing, but, like, slightly more insane, like, happens one after the other. And it kind of culminates in the reveal of what's in the basement. And I liked your comparison to The Descent, Joe, but does that work for y'all, the the zombie boyfriends in the basement? I think it does. That's the very first thing that I thought of. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Uh, not, not the, not they're obviously not blind, and they've been lobotomized with boiling water poured in their head. I still think that that would definitely kill you. But um, yeah, yeah I mean the the way that they're shot, they're they're made to look like these creatures that just live in the dark, and they're very skinny and malnutrition malnutritioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not a word. I do like the, the yeah. She feeds them. Is it a possum? I think it's a possum. That's a possum. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When they when she picks it up on the side of the road, I love that shot because it's the shot of the possum, and then like the car drives by, then it stops, and it rolls backwards. Hand comes out, grabs the possum. Yep. Yep. <laughs> poor possum was just sleeping i like the idea to not to not to try to read too much of a national cinema vibe into this but i thought it was interesting that the film incorporates this traditional australian horror theme of like horror happening on the outskirts of civilization like out in the backwoods like even though lola obviously goes to a school in a metropolis because that's where we see all the other characters who live they yep. live in this like kind of shack out in the middle of nowhere that's deserted and it's kind of like the dark farm or something equivalent. Well that's I mean, that's embedded. That's that's real in Australia, you know. Obviously Wolf Creek was heavily influenced by the backpacker murderer. Mm-hmm. But I know from personal experience there are stretches of road because we travelled a lot when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. There are stretches of highway up in Queensland where mum just would not stop for anything. She would make sure that the petrol tank was full before we hit that particular stretch of scary highway, and she would floor it until we were past it, because it was just 
she would never give details because I was a kid, but it was just known that you did not stop for anybody, you did not stop for anything, you just drive like the Dickens until you're out of that particular stretch of barren highway. Yeah. So this remote is where this remote parts of the country are where unspeakable horrors happen. Yeah, we're that's real. Mm-hmm. It's part of our psyche. And right on the like opposite end of that, while Wolf Creek was influenced by a real life crime, a real life crime happened after this movie came out. Yeah. Was... Yeah. Are we? Yep. Are we wait? Are we waiting to get there until later? No, no, no. I mean, like, so I, I have the um, a brief description of it, but basically, um, in March 2013, at Chester Crown Court, Judge Elgin Edwards described a sadistic torture murder as a reenactment of a scene from this film. During the sentencing, uh, the judge described the defendant, Gary George, as particularly liking the loved ones. I'm assuming he's Australian? Yes. The victim, Andrew Nall, was brutally beaten, sustained 49 knife wounds, and had cleaning fluid found in his eyes. Yeah. Gross. uh, He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 30 years. And it's... Yikes. The timing for that is apt. Joe and I just recorded a minisode for our Patreon on, like... Do horror fans lack empathy? And we actually scheduled it a long time ago, but um, it just so happened to be recorded like right after the um the two shootings in America, and yeah, that really goes just towards again because people like to blame fucking horror movies and media and video games for violence, like real world violence, and it's just like, god damn it, <laughs> like yeah, it's always especially frustrating right. when people then turn around and try to blame movies for their own criminal actions. And I mean, it, I thought it was very interesting that it was a man who did this to another man. And like their mm-hmm. ages, they're, they're well into adulthood. So this idea that you could watch a movie about a what 17 year old girl who is obviously yeah. deeply disturbed and think mm, yeah i'm gonna do that to a buddy of mine like nice try that's that's you being a psycho exactly and i obviously only know scant details about this but the the way it's framed the way the judge described it that to me smacks of an old judge and probably yeah. an old defense lawyer possibly grasping at defense strategies and the judge just going yes that's why i don't personally understand these disgusting violent films that's probably part of it and it's not really factually uh solid well i think it speaks to the reception that films that have a high level of perceived violence and gore do right like what kind of animal monster would want to watch this young girl drill a boy in the face it's like it's me. It's it's, it, me. it's all of us. Like, guess what? None of us are running around murdering people. It's yeah, because you could not possibly argue that this film presents an incentive to do what Lola's doing. She is presented as an unspeakable villain, yes. one that we all are kind of celebrating now in an ironic camp way. But still, mm-hmm. that's because we're gay and we're silly. Yes, and also because we like to drill boys. Hey. Oh, true. Well, I was, I was hey. going to say, I love a good face drilling. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. If a little bit of smoke comes out, you're doing it wrong. I mean, also, it, it's I've, I've read articles where like people who have, like, I, I specifically deal with like a little bit of anxiety, and watching horror movies definitely calms me down. Yeah. I don't know why. I probably should have read the whole article. But... <laughs> no, I know. I, I, I'm it's so the much same. work. Like horror. I mean, I think Joe, you said this. Like, or you quoted someone saying this, but horror provides a release. It's catharsis. Like when you're watching it, some people they can't. They get too scared. They don't see the release in it. But others, like hopefully all of us, 
we get that emotional release from watching a horror movie. Yeah. No, absolutely. I go one step further and I I love horror video games. The scarier yes. the game is, the more I like it. If it's so scary to me that I have to press pause to have a bit of a breather, that is the perfect level of relief. Yeah, it's doing its like, job. Oh, That's what it's meant yes. to do. When I when I was playing the um I mean I, I do horror video games as well, but I think that for me it was um, I, I was doing the VR version of Resident Evil Seven. I would like <laughs> I would oh, literally braver than I am stand at a door and just stand there staring at it for like a good five minutes before walking through <laughs> yep yeah no when i played the the, the demo uh, pt Ooh. i would do the same thing like wait joe do you know what this is no i have no idea it was a demo for a game that never got made but it's part of the silent hill franchise oh, which okay. is yes notoriously terrifying yeah, it's called pt which is a playable trailer so it's basically it's a trailer for a game but you can play it oh that's savvy marketing yeah it was fucking people lost their shit and then it didn't get made yeah it was going to be guillermo del toro i think producing it with norman rita starring and it was revealed after you played the trailer that it was silent hill so you didn't even know while you were playing like what it was and it's basically yeah you go through this hallway and you have to get to the other end through a door and basically once you get to the other end you re-enter the same hallway so there's these puzzles you have to do and like things like certain motions you have to do and there's also a ghost lady in the hall with you <laughs> who randomly attacks oh it's so scary Gosh. It, and and like the entire franchise of silent hill games you know you go up to a door because you got to go into a new scary room if that door if you go to open it and it's locked every part of you goes oh thank fuck <laughs> why is it locked what's behind um, and it? then you go to the next door <laughs> well this just means you don't have to go into it you don't have to be scared oh, oh yeah and then when a door is open you go oh no i've got to go in there no yeah see any, nice. anytime i played any of the silent hills whenever the door was locked i was like oh thank god <laughs> yeah. there's uh, one i have to deal with you walk in and it's like a safe room and you're like thank fuck i'm just gonna sit in here for a while <laughs> yeah yeah i need to find a bootleg version of pt because i never got to play it yeah so and joe that's the thing too so when the game was canceled like a year after it was canceled um it was removed from the store so if you didn't already have pt downloaded you cannot access dead. it yeah yeah People were like selling their PlayStations on eBay for hundreds of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, Well, I feel like we should continue this discussion sometime about like maybe horror video games or video game adaptations. Honestly, though, you should go watch YouTube videos. It's not long, so you can go like watch YouTube videos of it. But um, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. I I know that was like a diversion, but real life violence and the loved ones. Yeah. Um, we should probably wrap up. So, how about a game, gents? I'm in. I'm Dan. Sounds good. Okay. So we are going to crib from Dirty Little Horror in honor of your guest appearance on this episode. So do you two want to explain how this works? Uh, Sure. So every episode, we ask each other whether our pop idols, our respective pop idols, would survive were they plonked into the universe of whatever film we've talked about that week. Mine is Kylie Minogue and Charles's is Britney Spears. Okay. And Tracy. So I would go... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I want to know who the others, who who your pop icons are first. Okay, so Trace, who did you pick? Who for your this? queens are? Uh, okay, so yeah, I was trying to pick between Kesha and Cher, and I think for humor's purposes, I'm going to go with Cher because Kesha's been through enough. <laughs> Fair, love it, <laughs> love it. I love a well thought out ending. Okay, so I'm going to start easy with Charles. Charles, would Britney survive in this film universe? Uh, I <laughs> am going to say yes. Really. Yes, I love Britney Spears. Like, what's she gonna do though? No, um, based on the fact that it seems that the victims are all male, 
She's gonna get out just fine. Okay. Unless unless she goes after unless Lola goes after uh Sam Ashkari, Britney Spears' new boyfriend, in which case she will murder the fuck out of Britney. Hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. That's kind of cheating. She either survives or doesn't. I gave two explanations, but <laughs> So she survives she either way. Yeah. 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 Unless Lola specifically is looking for Sam Ashkari, uh Britney survives. Okay. Uh Christopher, would Kylie survive? Uh, yes. Based on home ground advantage, mm-hmm. oh. That's what I thought you were going to say, <laughs> and and the fact that she's fifty one, and only one adult, well, no, two adults, well, no, three adults. <laughs> okay, maybe I need to rethink this. I'd say as an adult who's not an immediate family member or a cop, yeah, she they... is not in any immediate <laughs> as long peril. As she's not a cop, <laughs> as long as she's not a cop. Uh, so home ground advantage and being 51 isn't working in her favor. Yeah, I feel like she knows the, the backwoods of Australia pretty well. She can escape pretty easily there we go. through the yeah, woods. Yeah, she's from Melbourne. She knows that area. <laughs> she's got friends. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Trace, would Cher survive in this universe? I'm going to say yes. I think she's going to give Lola a good old slap and... Snap out of it! <laughs> Lola girl, I don't... Let's just slap out of it, okay? We're going to be good. That, that was my shit. Why does she sound like Nicolas Cage? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Lola. Um, dark lady laughed and danced. <laughs> and if she got knocked into that pit, she could just use, use a wig to, like, climb her way back out again. Well, like no, they, 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 okay, oh my, I'm going to burn it. But they wouldn't be able to find Cher edible because her skin is too leathery. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. wow. It's like beef jerky. Wow. Mean. Okay. I would have said, what parts of Cher are even alive now? <laughs> That also works. <laughs> uh, okay. When Lola tries to drill the first time and it bounces oh, off because yeah. not holding it hard yes. enough, that that would just happen over and over and over on on Cher. Yeah. That's very taut skin. <laughs> Joe, who is your... Queen? Mine is Madonna. <gasps> would Madonna survive in this film universe? Okay, so I argue that she would because the material girl is always great at like reinventing herself and mentoring up and coming starlets. So she's going to help Lola is what so you're saying? So she would be like, Lola girl, we need to help update your wardrobe. We need to get you some <laughs> kind of manager. We need to get you a singing career. So Madonna would just like step in and be like, I'm your new mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she actually smothers bright eyes first. She's like, let's get rid of this bitch. And yeah, she's I'm like, this crone right. hasn't updated her look in a while. We need to do away with her. And with those yoga arms, she could climb out of that pit no problem. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that was fun. We've never done a game like that before. So that was good. It was perfect. I loved it. Uh, okay. Well, I think that'll probably wrap up our conversation, the loved one. So before we get into our housekeeping, boys, what would y'all like to plug? Oh, I guess. Our podcast. Oh, right. That thing you have? Yeah. It's called Diddle Horror. I have trouble saying it because of... Your accent. I don't know. I, it's yeah, a show that works much. in my accent, but not Chris's. But not mine. Because <laughs> it's very funny when Charles says whore. Yes, it's all... You're very clever, Charles. Diddle little whore. I get it. Mm-hmm. I can't say it. Fuck you. Horror. Horror. That, that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I'd plug is if you would like to know why I am the way I am, you can find out at ChristopherDoesn'tLiveHereAnymore.com. Nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, sh- short blurb, I've moved house over 64 times. Oh, and that explains... In two it. weeks, it'll be 65 oh, times, God. and I tell a story for every address. So, my life was fucked up, y'all. <laughs> I, I don't like moving. It's like my least favorite thing to do. Ugh. Okay. Trace? 
Well, if you want to reach... Oh, wait. Oh, what are y'all's Twitter handles? Say, well, say what your Twitter... Unless you don't want people to follow you. No, please. Uh, Chrisopotamia. It's like Mesopotamia, but with a Chris. Chris Topmania. <laughs> Everyone thinks it reads Chris Topmania. It does not. It's Chrisopotamia. Fucking... <laughs> you two get along well. My Twitter... <laughs> yes, we do. We're best friends. Um, my Twitter and my Instagram are both at Charles Rockhill, R-O-C-K-H-I-L-L. And if you happen to live in or are visiting soon the New York City area, I work at uh, the Stonewall Inn. Mm-hmm. And I bartend there. You can come say hi. Yay! But you have to be very Ooh, careful yeah. how you order your drink and interact with it. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know why, you should listen to their fucking podcast. I will read you yeah. down, bitch. <laughs> well, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Traced Thurman. And I am at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag horrorqueers in your tweets. Uh, you can also email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page. If you have two seconds, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating. If you have a little bit more time, leave us a review. Uh, we got two reviews last month so let's shoot for three in august i don't know oh wait by the time this comes out though it's the end of august let's shoot for three for september if you want even more content please visit our patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films uh our latest episodes are going to be on 47 meters down uncaged and ready or not and you also of course get a newsletter on the first of every month letting you know what our schedule is so if you sign up today you can get a newsletter on september 1st letting you know our entire september schedule Joe, what are we covering next week? So, we are diving into the canon of Mr. King for the first week of September and the release of It Chapter 2. We're going to be talking about It Chapter 1. As, oh, damn. Yeah, and a mini-sode on Stephen King shit. <laughs> no, well, yeah, September is <laughs> kind of Stephen King-dominated. Yeah, we've got our regular episode on It Chapter 1, our Patreon episode on It Chapter 2, and a Patreon mini-sode on just Stephen King things in general. Yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> okay, well, I think on that note, we can cross out the loved ones. Yes, and cross out Ooh. dirty little horror queers. <laughs> That's fair. Harsh, but fair. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.